How many guys have caller ID on your phone? How many guys have caller ID on your home phone? Yeah. Why do you have caller ID? What's that? So you can screen out calls, right? And uh, yeah, we screen out calls. Why do you have locks on your door? You got locks on your door at your house? Yeah. Hey, why do you got locks on your door? So nobody breaks in, right? Well, we have scanners and con men exist. Thieves, scoundrels exist. And uh, they exist all around us, right? I mean, that's the reason why hardly any of us pick up our phones anymore unless the number says, oh, that's somebody I know. And uh, it's the reason a lot of us have spam folders on our email accounts that keep on growing and growing and growing. Uh, some of us work for people like this. I won't make you raise your hand. Uh, bosses who change, you know, you, I, I hear you guys, I hear your stories of bosses that change job descriptions on you, or change hours on you, agreed upon hours, or promised promotions or raises that never come. Uh, this is the reason why it's hard to trust people. It's the reason why it's hard to trust employers. It's hard to trust even churches. And some of us are married to them. <laughs> and some of us are them. The thieves and the scoundrels and the liars and the manipulators. Today in our passage we have basically the story of uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Remember that movie title? We have, we have basically two dirty rotten scoundrels in this passage that we're looking at today. And uh, we are in, we are in, uh, going through Genesis. We are in the Genesis chapter 30. I misplaced my Bible somewhere, so I'm going to go off the screen. You're welcome to go off the screen as well. Oh, thanks, Mario. So we're in Genesis chapter 30. Um, and we're starting about in verse uh, 25. And as you turn here, let me just pray. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that you'll bless, um, bless us this morning as we hear your word. We will not only hear it. Um, but, but maybe reflect on it. This is a hard passage for me to speak up. And so I pray that uh, my words, uh, my meditations, my heart will be acceptable to you. In your name we pray. Amen. So we, we got, in this passage, we have two professional, dirty, rotten scoundrels, Jacob and Laban. They are like, uh, anybody watch boxing in here? No? Anyone know anything about boxing? You got a ring, you got two guys, and they pretty much fight each other. Right? What's that? Oh, on we? Well, here in this passage, we have basically two professional boxers. But they're not boxing each other. They're they're trying to cheat and manipulate each other. And uh, so in this corner, they always say in a boxing match, they say, in this corner, weigh 245 pounds or whatever it is. You know? So in this corner over here, we have Jacob. And Jacob has been a professional heel grabber since he was born. Right? I mean, we know that that's what Jacob's name means. From the time Jacob came out of the womb, he was trying to, to take his brother's place. And he's got a really good record. You know, in boxing, you talk about how many knockdowns you have and how many victories you have. Well, Jacob has a really good record in deceiving people. So when he was younger, 
he uh, tricked his brother into selling him his birthright over a pot of soup. Right? That's, wow, that's a pretty good deceiver. And when he was older, still a young man, he, uh, he tricked his father by dressing up like his brother so that he could steal his brother's blessing. So, so Jacob is pretty much, uh, before he met Laban, Jacob was pretty much undefeated in deceit. And uh, they caused him a lot of turmoil, had to flee from his family, and he's on the run. And that's where he met Laban. Now he meets Laban, and Laban, if you think about it, uh, he, Jacob's like the champion of this region in deceit. But now he's going to another division. And Laban is the champion over there in that division. And so Jacob meets Laban, he falls in love with his daughter. In fact, he falls, he's just infatuated with her. And Laban sees, aha, here's a weakness I can exploit. So he says, what, what do you want? And Jacob says, I'll work for you seven years for your daughter. And Laban says, okay, deal. But he sees that weakness he can exploit. And on the wedding night, he switches daughters, right? So Jacob ends up marrying the older daughter, Leah. And he wakes up, and behold, there's Leah. And Laban then manipulates Jacob into working for himself another seven years. So, so if that was round one between these heavyweight fighters, these manipulators, uh, Laban has won round one, right? Between the, this big battle royale between Jacob and Laban. So today in this passage, we're going to look at how that, you know, how that battle royale continues. And uh, so, so we're starting out in round two. I don't know if this is working, Dave. It didn't work last week. So every time I look at you, there you go. So we're starting up in Genesis 25. It's now time. Uh, Genesis 29:25 says, "As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, right at the end of last week, we looked at all these children that were being born to Jacob's wives. Um, as soon as Rachel had born to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, "Send me away that I may go to my home, own home and country." Give me my wives and my children for whom I've served you, that I may go. For you know the service I've given you. And so now we are entering into uh, round two. This is round two, and in round two, Jacob tries to swindle Laban again. So Jacob basically goes to Laban and says, let me go back home, give me my wives, give me my kids, your grandkids, and let me go. And in the Hebrew language, it's even in English, send me away. In the Hebrew, it's very direct to the point of being impolite, right? Like, you know that there are ways to make polite requests of people. This is not one of them. He goes to his father-in-law and says, look, I'm out of here. Send me away. Bye. And it's, it's a, this is not a friendly banter between a loving family. This is adversarial talk. Like, these are opponents, you know, trying to figure out where they can get at each other. And Laban, of course, Laban doesn't want Joseph, or Joseph, Laban doesn't want Jacob to go. Like, Laban's got 14 years of free service from this guy. So, of course, Laban's going to do everything he can to keep Jacob with him. So he answers very, very politely. And, you know, think about, you know, I lived in, particularly in Japan, we lived in this very hierarchical society where, and I know Chinese cultures too like this as well, like, you have, you know, you give a lot of respect to the elders, the one who's the superior, right? You, you should give a lot of respect. So here you have this, this, this younger guy, the, the son-in-law saying, give, let me, let me go. And speaking very directly. And then 
generally speaking, you know, the, the older would not necessarily need to speak as politely to the younger, right? But so Laban, but Laban wants him to stay, so he starts buttering him up. So he says, if I have found favor in your sight, right? Like, Laban says in verse 27, if I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I'll give it. So Laban is, you know, he is a master chief. He knows how to butter people up and manipulate them. And, uh, you know, that, that first part, I don't, don't get too bent out of shape about, uh, this part, this, uh, oh, that's, uh, this isn't a bad word. Uh, by this, I've learned by divination, it's a really hard word to translate, so we don't really know what he's talking about there. It may just be, I've learned by experience, or I've learned by observation. But anyway, but, but he's trying to butter Jacob up with this language, uh, but he goes too far! And, I don't know anything about boxing. At all. But I do know from watching sports movies, and that's about it, that's my experience, boxing. Now, I do know that you're looking for your opponent's weakness. In fact, I was talking to a guy who does boxing the other day, and he said basically, you wanna, um, you wanna keep on, you don't wanna be, um, predictable. You know, you have your few punches and your counter punches, and if you do the same thing every time, your opponent's gonna see, ah, here's, a, here's an opening, here's a weakness. And, and Jacob sees a weakness here. Because Laban, because Laban has said, in his trying to flatter Jacob, he said, you know, I, I've just been blessed so much because of you. And Jacob counters with that and says, oh yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. You have been blessed because of me. Like, Jacob says, you yourself know how I've served you and how your life shall care with me. You have little before you came, before I came, and it's increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turn. So Jacob's like, you're right. God has blessed you because of me. Now pay up. That's kind of what he's saying, right? Like, so, so he's found that, he's found that hole, and is trying to exploit Laban's trap. He began his negotiation by admitting Jacob's value to him. That's not a good place to start a negotiation. And so he allows Jacob to begin the negotiations. He says, what, what do you want? Sorry. Here, Dave, I still don't know if it's clicking from here. Okay. So he says in verse 31, what shall I give you? And Jacob starts this negotiation. And basically, as far as I can understand, Jacob, this is Jacob almost turning in his two notes. But what his, his, um, what his proposal seems to be, is that you don't give me anything, but do this for me. I'll again pastor your flock and keep it. But let me pastor your flock today, removing from every speckled spot of sheep and every black lamb, and the spot of speckled and goats, and they will be my wages. And my honesty will answer for me later. So when you come and look to my wages with you, everyone that's not speckled or spotted among the goats or black among the lambs, if found with me, shall become a stool. And Laban said, good, it'll be as I have said. Or it'll be as you have said. And so basically, just as far as I can understand what Jacob is saying, is suggesting is, look, I'll work for you for a little bit longer. But I'll go through your fields today, and about, probably, they, they think about 8 to 11% of the sheep would have been these speckled, spotted sheep and goats. I'm just going to use the word blemished from now on. Blemished just means not necessarily completely pure. So not completely pure, right? Just so the, I use that word blemished, you know what I'm talking about. So Jacob goes through and he takes out the blemished lambs. And, and what, he, what, he, what Jacob's proposal, as far as I can understand it, is this. Um, I, you don't need to pay me anything today, 
I'll work for you a little bit longer. But today, set apart the speck, the blemished lambs, the blemished animals for me. And then we'll have the, the, the white animals and the blemished lambs. And I will, I will, I will do both. I will, I'll tender both. Right? I'll, I'll, I'll be in charge. I'll care for both. And I think with his ideas, from that separation, both, both flocks will grow. Right? That's Jacob. So, so at the end, Jacob's proposal is, I'll work for you a little bit more. I will continue to enrich you. I will continue to be, I will begin to be enriched. And everybody will be happy. Perfect. Right? And so it seems like this is a pretty good faith negotiation. Jacob's saying, I'll work for both of us. We'll both get rich and when I'm ready to go, I'll eat. But it's my two-week notice. Right? It's my two-week notice. I'm tendering my two-week notice at this point. So far, so good. Except for one thing. We are still in this battle royale between these two heavyweight deceivers. And so Laban, who says, good, oh, sorry, Dave, who says, good, let it be that day. So remember Jacob's proposal. Jacob's proposal is, I'll go through the flocks and separate them, and I'll take care of them. So what, what happens? Verse 35. On that day, Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, everyone in the white on it. Every man that was black, and he put them in charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob passed with the rest of Laban's flock. I can't understand what's happening here other than this. Laban said to Jacob, All right, that sounds good. You go and separate the flocks, you take care of them both. And he gives them the handshake agreement. And then Laban goes out himself before Jacob gets there. Laban removes all the speck on his bottom sheep, all the blood of sheep, and he gives them to his sons to go. So what's going to happen when Jacob goes out to the field that day to look for his wages? He goes out to the field, they're all white. Laban's got them again. Right? They're all white. He goes out there. In fact, the Hebrew word for white is actually very, it's like Laban. It's basically Laban. So he goes out to the field and they're all Laban. Right. And so Jacob made this offer of good faith, right? And Laban again has tricked him and deceived him. It's like, ah, come on. And so if, uh, right now, it looks like uh, Laban wins round two. We'll give, we'll give round two to Laban. Okay? But so, so Jacob, Jacob is not to be outdone. Jacob's not going to be outdone. And so Jacob wakes up, and he goes to work for Laban. There you go, round three. We're getting to round three here. Alright, so round three, Jacob fleeces Laban. Jacob's not going to let him win. And at this point, you can understand kind of where where Jacob's coming from, right? I think you've all probably, I know I've been there at times, and you guys have probably all been there, where you tried to make a good, good faith offer to someone, and then they came back and tricked you, or deceived you, and then you're like, huh, the good faith offer is off the table. I'm going to get him. And I think that's what is happening here. So Jacob goes back up into the field, and he goes, and Jacob's not going to let Laban win. It's, this is a battle of wits. It's deceiver versus deceiver. It's Loki versus Loki. And in this part of the passage, you know, Jacob is trying everything he can to manipulate the outcome of which animals are going to be born. Like he's, and so that in the end, remember his first proposal was, I'll look after both flocks and they'll, they'll, they'll both kind of, they'll both kind of grow together and we can both be successful and prosperous. 
Now Jacob is like, no. Laban, forget you. And Jacob's new motive is to take all Laban's flocks, all Laban's good flocks, and convert them into Jacob's flocks. So that by the end of the chapter, all uh, all that Laban is left with are the weak and the, the weak and sickly animals, and a small amount of weak and sickly animals. And Jacob has gotten now all the healthy and strong animals, and he has taken from Laban what it is and converted it to his own. Jacob's not Jacob's not trying to have a good deal that benefits both parties anymore. Jacob's like, you know what? I'm doing all I can to make these flocks mine. And uh, now some of the things, obviously Jacob's techniques that he uses don't seem to us to be very scientifically valid. Like, we don't even really understand them. He takes sticks and strips them and puts them in their water. We don't really, you know, and, and you know, he, sheep don't breed spotted sheep because they're looking at a spotted stick any more than, like, chocolate milk comes from a chocolate cow. Right? Like, that's not how this works. If you no, if you but if you study genetics in high school, you know that like two brown-eyed parents can have a blue-eyed kid, right? Hmm. That can happen. And and so and so just naturally, some of these sheep are going to have special offspring. And if they're looking at the sticks while they're doing it, you know, Jacob doesn't understand the difference of causation and correlation. We we we, we mix that up quite a bit. And uh, and then it might be that some of Jacob's techniques may have actually worked, but not for the reasons he thought they were. You know, <laughs> like he, it's the, the text says he was separating them and intentionally breeding some with others. Those are techniques we still use today. And so even though the six maybe have nothing to do with it, Jacob still. And the point is, we we actually don't know in this text how much Jacob's methods may have helped or not. We don't know how much it was just a miracle of God. It's, it's very hard to discern as you're reading this text. But, here's the point. Jacob doesn't know about Mendelian genetics. All I can understand from this part of the text is Jacob's motives and how his initial idea has changed. And that by the end of this chapter, he gets to this point where he's like, I have won. I have taken all his flocks, and made them mine. And he has been working hard for six years, we find out later. He's been working hard for six years to do this. And so Jacob wins round three. And by the end of the chapter, verse 43 here, Dave, thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, camels and armies. So he's gotten so much flocks that he's actually exchanged them for other means of wealth. And then by the time he gets to beginning of chapter 31, now Jacob heard the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's. Listen to that. Jacob has taken all that was our father's. And through what was our father's, he gave all this wealth. And Jacob, this is great understatement. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. I don't know if he ever really regarded Jacob with a lot of favor, but now this is just escalated. This is now, alright, so Laban, you won the first two rounds, and now Jacob is punched back. Right? Round three. So let's go to round four. This is exciting. Who's going to win? Aren't you kind of excited? This is like watching a sports movie. Who's going to win this one? Let's go to round four. So about this time, um, the Lord appears to Jacob. It says to him, 
Return to the land of the fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. Now, mark this, if you've got a Bible, just kind of mark your eye where this verse is and look at it carefully and come back to later. Notice that this is the only time the Lord is said to have appeared to Jacob. And that this is what the Lord has said to Jacob, return. And that the Lord has saved this after the six years of doing the stuff of the sheep. Okay? And so, Jacob gets his wives. He calls Jacob and Rachel into the field where his flock was. Now again, what's the importance of that? He takes them out of that, you know, the dwelling place where they live. He brings them out of, like, this is a secret council. He's meeting with his wives, his Laban's daughters, and he's having a secret council out in the field. The game is not over. Jacob calls them out to meet him where they, Laban won't be looking for them. And now Jacob must convince his wives that it's time to leave. And so here's what he tells them. First he, first he contrasts, look at, he contrasts his father's attitude with God's attitude toward him. So Jacob calls Rachel Leah the field. He says, I look, I see your father doesn't regard me with favor as he did before. But God has been with me. So I don't know what your dad's problem is. I mean, God's been with me. Your dad? Huh. You know, and then he says, verse 6, you know I've served your father with all my strength. Yet your father has cheated me and changed my way just ten times. You know, you know how I've just been out in the field. I've just been working hard. I've been faithfully serving him. No, no mention here of how he's been trying to manipulate the process to take Laban's fields. Because he's not trying to put himself in a bad light in front of his wives. He's trying to put Laban, their dad, in a bad light. And he's saying, look, I, I serve him faithfully all this time. And he's just trying to show himself how, you know, trying to convince his wives what a rotten guy their father is. What a rotten guy your father is. And how poorly he's treated Jacob. Suffering, suffering, suffering shepherd. But Jacob has had a defender. Here, Dave. He said, God, God did not permit him to harm me. Right? Because if he says the spotted shall be arranged, then but all the flock were spotted. And if he said the stripes will be arranged, then all the flock were striped. Thus, God has taken away the livestock of your father and given it to me. Given them to me. In fact, this word taken away, just so you know how, how Jacob's trying to set this to his wife, this word taken away is actually uh, better translated rescue. God has rescued, rescued all those precious animals from your terrible dad. God has taken away the last of your father, given it to me. The breeding season of the flock, I lifted my eyes and I saw the dream. The ghosts that made with the flock were striped, spot, and mottled. The angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that make up the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. Behold, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land, and return to the land of your kingdom. Now, this is the part, I, I have no idea what's going on here, to be honest. This is baffled people for millennia. Because here's the deal. Jacob here, talking to his wives, is saying basically, all the success I've had, all of it is from God. God protected me. In fact, he, he says, God gave me this vision about how this is going to happen. And he tells about these, there, there's a complete absence of any of Jacob's manipulations. And he tells about these visions that he received. Right? But don't, is this a little suspicious to you? 
Like, I, I think it's a bit suspicious. Like at the beginning of the chapter, it, Moses has been pretty faithful. Moses is pretty faithful recording for us when God meets with people. And Jacob suddenly now tells his wives of this vision he's had that Moses has never recorded for us, that are nowhere else recorded in Scripture. I can't think of any other time in Genesis or even the Old Testament where somebody says, oh, God spoke to me in a vision, where the narrator, the inspired narrator, didn't say, yes, God spoke to him in a vision. I don't know what's going on here. And, and, and I have to tell you, Jacob has not proven himself to be the most reliable source of information. Right? We're talking about a heavyweight between two master manipulators. And so, either, and I can see two options here, either Jacob has learned that it has been the Lord all along who has been blessing him with the sheep, and he actually did have this vision, and he's telling the truth, and, and Jacob is reporting to his wife the actual case. But, but still, you can see the rest of this conversation he's trying to manipulate his wives into leaving. Or, Jacob is hiding the truth of the manipulations, and he's inventing stories in order to persuade them to leave. And uh, I, you can probably guess the way that I'm leaning. So this has been something that's been baffling. Where do these visions come from? But in any case, Jacob is really convincing. So look at look, look what happens to his wives, uh, how they respond here. So Jacob, Leah and Leah answered him, this is what the, the girls say to him. They say, they want to say to him, they say, is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? So the first thing they say is, look, we've got nothing to stay here for. Like, you, our father has no more wealth left to him. We've got nothing to stay And then, he does, so, so they talk about the future, inheritance, there's nothing. Then they talk about the present. And aren't we regarded by him as foreigners? Right? Like, the present is, uh, yeah, he's already treating us, not like his daughters. He's treating us like, you know, like we're outsiders already. And then, he has told us. He did he power our money. And that's looking back at the past and saying, yeah, Laban didn't really treat us well, and suddenly, without our consent, he just gave us to you. All the wealth that God has, and here's that word again, all the wealth that God has rescued from our Father, us to us and our children, now then whatever God has said to you, do. So they are like, yeah, Jacob, we are on board. We are out of here. And uh, they're convinced that they would leave immediately. And if you put the last slide there. So Jacob arose. So it's like in that moment, Jacob arose, set his sons and the flies on his camels. They drove away all their livestock, all his property came, and uh, all he required and kept around, but they, they go to the land and came to his father Isaac. Laban was up shearing his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods, which will come up next week. And Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face for the hill country of Gilead. So, while they're having this conversation, he's got to convince, i got to convince my wives that their dad is a terrible guy and they need to leave with me right away. He convinces them and they leave and Rachel goes back and like insult to injury, she, she steals the household gods. Uh, we'll talk about that more last, next week, but some people think that this was basically, these were thought to protect the household family and so, so the, the, the daughters, this might be an act of bitterness. Like here, I'll take this. Ah, right? And then this idea of this, this word trick right here is a really interesting word. It's the same word as here. Rachel stole her father's God and Jacob stole his heart. That's what it says. 
Jacob stole the heart of Laban the Aramean. And, and the idea is not like, in our, in our idiom in English, stealing someone's heart is like, um, you know, I won her love. Uh, this idiom actually meant something more like the idiom we use in English. And Jacob ripped his heart out. <laughs> okay? So, <laughs> this, so, so round, what is this, round four? We got a tie. Laban won the first two rounds. Jacob won the last two rounds. And the story ends, the summary that Moses gives us. And Jacob ripped his heart out. What a story. Now how do I preach it, is the question I've been looking at all week. I've been, I've been praying about this passage, because this is a passage that doesn't seem to have a lot of grace at all. Even when God appears, even when God shows up and is mentioned in this passage, I don't even know if they're telling the truth about God. Right? And so, I, I don't know, and this is what I have, and maybe you guys can home and do your own reflection on it. Um, but this is where the sermon starts, I guess. But, uh, the first the first thing that at least uh, I've been meditating on this week is uh, David put up. Um, we are all, we, we are all Jacob and Laban, and more you mentioned this to the kids. Right? Like, the reason why the reason why I think a lot of even though I'm not a shepherd I'm not a shepherd anyone in here a shepherd no I don't know anything about sheep nothing I don't know anything about farming even though my grandparents were farmers nothing I don't know anything about this but what I do know when I read these two chapters is oh yeah that's how people are right? that's what I get and, and and to be honest that's how I am a lot what I get when I read these two chapters is this is life. This is life. People trying to manipulate and deceive one another. And uh, that's that's a truth that I get from this passage. We are we are all Jacob and we are all Laban. And if we think we're not, just wait until you can cheat it and see what your response is. Um, in Ecclesiastes 7.29, Solomon the wise says, See, this alone I have found. God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. If we all want what we feel is ours, and if someone dared manipulate us to take it, woe unto them. When the world is filled with schemers and deceivers trying to take advantage of each other and jostle for positions and possessions, this is why you have locks on your door. This is why you have caller ID. This is why your spam folder grows. This is why also people don't trust you. Because at our heart of hearts, none of us is faithful, none of us is true, and none of us is trustworthy. And so the first thing I know, I, I reflect on this passage, is this is life. Because we're all Jacob and Lady. And the second thing, Dave, is, uh, we all seek justice and fairness on our terms. We, when, when, when we're wronged, we are the ones who suddenly are sent, when we wrong others, it's just like, well, there's many different moralities and there's no absolute right or wrong. When we wrong others, we're very good at relativizing our morality. When we do bad and sin against others, we're very good at minimizing our sin. But when people sin against us, suddenly we become moral absolutists. Right? When people wrong us, suddenly we want justice and vengeance and crave revenge. And so, but, but we want it on our terms. We don't actually seek true justice. We don't actually seek true fairness. We don't actually go to God and understand that God is the only one who weighs with just scales. We want, we want it at man. 
Third, oh man, this one hurts me. We are all untrustworthy narrators. You know what an untrustworthy narrator is in literature? Did you ever read a book where it's a term that comes from literature, from novels, where you're reading a book that has a narrator? But as the book goes on, you realize that I can't trust anything the book is telling me. Right? So it's called an unreliable or an untrustworthy narrator. And that's the thing, that's the problem with Jacob when he's talking to his wives. I don't know. I don't know if he's telling the truth or not. And the problem is, I see myself doing this like 19 times a week. Like, I'm not a trustworthy narrator of my life story and the events surrounding my own life. I'm not. And, and I don't know if any of you guys, you guys are either. Right? When, when, we're, when we're talking, you know, when we're in conflict, we justify ourselves trying to put ourselves in good light. Right? We omit details. And sometimes we out and out lie. You know, kids, parents come to you and they say, hey, who ate these brownies that I was going to take church to potluck? And you, even though you may have heard her say that before, you might say, I didn't know. Right? Or you might blame your brother. Right? Like, we we're all unreliable narrators. When, when justice comes seeking us, we'll try to wiggle ourselves out. The fourth thing I've been reflecting on is this there's always a cost to winning. And, and Murray, you kind of brought this up with the kids too. Like, the reason why Jacob ran and met Laban is because he's already running away from somebody he'd already been deceived. And now he's on, he, he leaves this chapter on the run again. Right? Jacob's life to this point has been mostly running away from people he's wronged. <laughs> and yeah, maybe he's gotten some economic gain out of it. But, but there's no peace. There's no peace. There's no relational peace. I, I, I don't think at this point yet in Jacob's life he has peace with God. See, all, all, all the, I'll get to this in a second, but all the promises have been God saying to him, I will be with you, I will be with you, and I will bless you. But so far there's been nothing on Jacob's point that, that shows he understands what that actually means in his life. There's been no real true gratitude or transformation. And here's the, the last thing that kind of this passage causes us to reflect on. And these are hard truths to think about. These are life truths. These are things that like will wake you up one day and go, man... Life is a lot harder than I thought it was. The last truth here is that cheaters sometimes win. Listen, life is not fair, and sometimes your boss is terrible, and he's the boss. And sometimes people get ahead, and colleagues and coworkers get ahead, and they don't deserve it, and guess what? Too bad. And, and here's the thing, success is not the ultimate indicator that we played the game fairly, or that we played by the rules. Or that our techniques were better than our opponents. Like, God doesn't... I, Jacob was doing all these manipulations and techniques that modern science are like, what? That wouldn't have worked. And God doesn't ever pat him on the back going, yes, good job, Jacob, for doing those. There's no approval given in Scripture to what Jacob was doing, but he got ahead. And sometimes cheaters get ahead. It's just the truth. And so for... Here's the deal, for all Jacob did wrong, and even if he was lying to his wives, he actually was right about one thing. And this is the part that is really hard to digest. 
For all he did wrong, and even if he was lying to his wife, he was right about one thing. God was with him. When he said to his wife, the God of my father has done with me, we know that even though he's trying to manipulate the situation, and even if he was trying to manipulate them, he was actually, I don't think he was telling the truth, but he was speaking truth. That's a difference, right? Even even if he were lying to his wives in the moment, truth was still being spoken, and that's the hard thing to wrestle with. Is he when he was saying, God was with me, God is with me. And we know, as reading through the storyline of the Bible, we know that God was with them, that God has been with them, and God actually has blessed them, and that God actually was the source of his prosperity. And we know this because we've been following that storyline of the Bible. We know this then because even before Jacob was born, before he did anything good or bad, even before Jacob was the heel grabber, God chose him in the womb to be the one to be in that family line of Abraham and pass on the promises of the blessing. Now, we know that. We know that even before Jacob has seemingly his life has changed at all, God appeared to him at Bethel in that staircase and said, I am the God of your father Abraham and Isaac. Notice he doesn't yet say Jacob. I am the God of Abraham and Isaac, and I will go with you, and I will bless you, and I will bring you back to this land. Before Jacob had ever done anything good in his life, while he's still a dirty, rotten scoundrel, God had chosen him. Even though he's the champion deceiver. And the question is, that should bother us. Why would God choose a schemer like that? To give his blessing and his promise to him. And that, so even though the story I don't see has much gospel, that question leads us to should drive us to the gospel. Because God is doing this throughout scripture and he's doing this throughout history. God chooses Moses, the murderer. He chooses Paul, the persecutor. Right? The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Timothy 1.15. This is like the last verse we just look at. The Apostle Paul, the former persecutor of the church, said, This is a trustworthy saying. This saying is trustworthy, worthy, and deserving of full acceptance. Like, like drive this point, drive this home. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. And the Apostle Paul is saying, my love, if I was in the battle of wits with Jacob and Laban, I would have come out. Grand champions. And, and that's, that's actually the, the storyline point of the Bible. Is that we all, like Jacob and Laban, we're all trying to get what we, what we can get. We're all trying to win in this battle of wits against others. We, we're all scheming many, many ways. Many, many tasks. We all manipulate the truth to our advantage. We all look for revenge when we're wronged. And the point is we are all like this. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us to his own way. And yet Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. That's, that's the only hope I know. That's the only hope I can see in this story, to be honest. Is that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. But there is a obnoxious, ridiculous grace in the gospel. And if there wasn't an obnoxious, ridiculous grace in the gospel, none of us would have any hope. Because although some of us might be more skilled in manipulation and deceit, all of us, all of us, all of us have fallen short of the glory of the Holy God. 
God is a God is truth. He speaks truth. He is the personification of truth. And we are all liars. Every mouth is stopped before him. And, and so the, the great part is that I believe that there's still hope for Jacob. And I, and I believe that even the storyline of the, the, the Bible will see hope for Jacob. And the grace, the grace news and the great news today is that there are still hope for Jacob's today. That, that, that if you, if you find yourself, if you have found yourself in the mess that you have made on your own doing with your own mouth through your own manipulation, there is hope in Jesus Christ for you. Call on him, ask him to give you a new heart, ask him to give you a new life, new lips, new truth. Say, God, I know I'm a manipulator like Jacob. I know I'm a schemer like Laban. I have sinned against you and your holiness. Please forgive me. Forgive me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, this has been a difficult text uh, this week to work through because it, it just feels, it's just, it's just looking into the messiness of life. Lord, we're so thankful that you are God, that you are good, and that you are God of grace. That you save the liars. And that's our only hope. It's our only hope that God, that you save the liars. That you can forgive. That you can give a new heart. That you can give a new life. And so God, I pray today that we just, even through this difficult story, we just looked at God, that we would be, once again, just bowing our hearts before you in gratitude about how much grace you've given us. And God, even as Christians, we still lie and manipulate at times. I pray, God, that even as Christians, we would see the horror and the, the weight and the guilt of that sin, and that we'd be even more thankful for Christ, and that, Lord, I pray that by your Spirit, you make us into people who speak truth to one another in love. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. We're going to go up to a time of worship, and here's a time to just reflect and sing out praises to the God of this glory.